Welcome to Half Finished to Done, a podcast for passionate business owners like you who are ready to stop procrastinating and start finishing all of your half-done projects. I'm your host, Christina, and I'm looking forward to helping you finish your projects in a calm, sustainable way using a simple, repeatable process. All along the way, we'll be working through the mental, emotional, and logistical obstacles that are standing between you and extraordinary projects. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to chat with my guest today, Dr. Siobhan Parat. Siobhan, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Christina. I am a life and marriage coach. I work with couples as well as individuals to help them create a happier, healthier marriage that lasts. So my work really centers around helping people to love each other well and to really find their groove together as a couple. My background, I have a doctorate in public health. I studied social science and really focused on intimate partnerships. I worked eight years at a nonprofit developing healthy relationship curricula and training. And then about eight years ago, I started my coaching business. So this has been my work for quite some time. It is so rewarding. I love it. It is also work that I get to practice daily. So Lucky you. As well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we have two little ones running around. But yeah, that's me. So I brought you here today to talk about procrastination as it relates to relationships, marriage, or otherwise. We'll refer to it as a partnership or a live-in situation. So I would love to start by just talking about what are some of the problems that your clients present to you when it comes to navigating workloads and procrastination with their spouses? Does that ever come up in your line of work? So they would not say that procrastination is the issue, right? They would not present with that. What my clients come to me really wanting to navigate better together is work-life balance, is time like scheduling decisions. Many of my clients have small children. And so it's, you know, a matter of who's going to give up what they need to give up so that the other person can do what they need to do and their children are supervised appropriately. They also present with stress, right? And the stress is coming from feeling overwhelmed, which we know, right? The overwhelm is coming from either having too many things on your plate or from delaying and then being in a rush to do the things that you didn't get to do because there were too many things on your plate or you had a set of beliefs about the things on your plate that created this experience of overwhelm. So that's what I know as the coach. But if we were chatting and you were listening into a client conversation, they would say, I'm super stressed out. I'm frustrated and I'm on edge and my spouse isn't supporting me and they're not helping out enough. And we're having all these communication breakdowns. We're not looping each other in, yeah. so on and so on. 
that overwhelm piece is really interesting. I refer to it as ideal is 100% capacity. And that's your mental, emotional, and logistical capacity combined. And then the majority of people at this point in society are over 100% capacity. So what I think is really interesting is considering two adults in the same household, both being over 100% capacity, and then how that affects every single person in the household. 100%. It just puts everyone on edge because many times people don't even realize that they're over 100% capacity. They just know that their spouse is not giving them what they need, right? And so then they're just frustrated, but they're not conscious of, you know, what you just offered that, hey, maybe I just have too much. And this is always for me as the coach, the place where I go first, right? When a couple is struggling with time issues and really having a hard time negotiating everybody getting done what needs to get done, the first question I ask is, does everything need to get done? Yes. Do all of these things actually need to be on your plate? And so much of what creates this like overwhelm in scheduling and things on your to-do list is the fear of letting people down, the expectations that one you place on yourself or the expectations you think other people have of you. And so it's just this like tangled web that we have to really unwind. And so much of it centers around you really anchoring in yourself of what you want to be doing with your time, how you want to be using your time and why. Because sometimes we don't even question why we put things on our list, why we're not doing the things that we say are very important to us. And It's because we don't give ourselves permission to want those things and to value those things if the other people in our lives are not valuing them equally and feeling that they're important as well. What I find so fascinating every single time I talk to a coach is I'm like, we're all fundamentally procrastination coaches. We're all fundamentally time management coaches, right? You just happen to do it in the realm of marriage and I do it in the realm of projects. So this is really interesting and definitely that idea of us all carrying around this extra burden of what do we think society is telling us we need to do and what do we think our significant other is expecting of us and how often so many of those things either A, are expectations but they're silent or B, are not actual expectations. We've just made them up and now we act like they are the truth. A hundred percent. And so much of the experience someone could have in their marriage or relationship is a function of what they're projecting and thinking that their spouse wants, needs, doesn't want, doesn't agree with, without really having clear, concrete conversations about it. So how do you start that conversation? Well, you start that conversation first with yourself, Hmm. right? I think it's so important that You anchor in with what's true for you, understand your reasons why, and really like those reasons. And when you're confident in the decisions you're making or the things you have prioritized for yourself or your family or whatever it is that you're working on, you present it in a different energy to your spouse, Mm. right? Like when you're good with, what you want to do, what you're advocating to do, what you're negotiating and trying to compromise on, 
then you're not really in this sort of like convincing energy where like they have to understand it and value it too. I often use this analogy with my clients of like in our home, I really love chocolate, like chocolate cake, chocolate ice cream, chocolate, anything. My husband does not like chocolate at all. What a weirdo. (laughs) I know, right? But I'm so good with the fact that I love chocolate, everything. And he's so good with the fact that he likes vanilla, plain, everything that when we come together to decide on dessert or whatever the case may be, yeah, it's not either one of us needing the other person to buy in, endorse it, support it, make it happen for us, right? Yeah. It's literally like we come whole and complete with our idea, our preferences, our to-do list, whatever the case may be. And it's just like, okay, this is what I have. This is what you have how do we make this work, right? It doesn't need to be a tug of war of like, well, this is more important and what you have to do has to wait. It's like, no, equally are valuable. Equally, they're both important. How do we solve that problem, right? Because a lot of times the level that couples are trying to solve problems at is with the other person, right? Trying to change the other person, trying to change the way they're thinking or their behavior rather than, no, like you're good and I'm good. We just have this thing in the middle that we need to figure out and negotiate. I love the way you talked about the energy behind it. So my brain just exploded in so many different directions. But really, I think this gives you then an opportunity as a couple to come together in a creative problem-solving way versus, like you said, either convincing or defensive. So I want to give an example, actually, that I see a lot with my clients. It's the honey-do list. I'm very passionate. I'm not in a relationship, but I have very strong opinions about the honey-do list. (laughs) And so one specific example, I had a client who was like, my wife wants me to be doing all these projects around the house. It's super important to her. And so I will always commit to them. I'll say I'm going to do them, but I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the resources to do it. So she's constantly nagging me and she's always annoyed. And meanwhile, I'm over here feeling horrendous and guilty. And it just puts both people at their very worst. What is your take on that? Listen, (laughs) the first thing, right? So I'm imagining that couple is like in my virtual office as well. The first thing I would offer is for the spouse that is committing to things they do not want to commit to, we have to start there, Yeah. right? Because the reason we commit to things that we really know we don't have capacity to do or we really don't desire to do is because we're one, afraid of how our partner is going to respond if we decline. And then we're going to feel a certain way in response to them, right? So we're going to feel guilty. We're going to feel bad. We're going to feel like we did the wrong thing. Yeah. Yet, In these instances where we're agreeing to things that we don't follow through on, we don't play that scenario out all the way. Yeah. Right? So there's no consideration of, oh, I'm saying yes to this thing that one, I don't really want to do. Two, I don't really have the time to do. And I'm thinking very short term that like in this moment, when I agree to it with my spouse, they're happy and I stay in their good graces. Yes. But the trust that is eroded from committing and then not following through is actually worse than just declining and being honest in the first place. So that's again, why it's so important to have a conversation with yourself first. And what I would recommend is, you know, if your spouse is coming to you with 
honey-do list that you not answer right away. Mm. Sometimes we feel obligated to like say a quick yes or no, but what's more valuable sometimes and more healthy in the connection is, okay, I understand that's important to you. Let me take a look at some things and I'll get back to you, right? And just be very clear about when you're going to get back to them. Don't leave it, you know, up in the air forever. Like, give me an hour, give me two days, whatever the case may be. Because what's going to happen then is you're out of the energy of needing to please them immediately. Yes. And then you can really tap into sort of that other part of your brain that's able to see the big picture and tell you, yes, this is really something you can commit to and follow through on, or no, it's not, right? So that's what I would say to the partner that's agreeing to things that they really don't have capacity to do. For the partner that's requesting, right? One, the first question is, does this other person actually need to do it? Anyone that works with me, especially wives, will lovingly and frustratingly make the comment that I am always pointing back to what's within your power and control to take care of. Yeah. And so what I offer for the person that's making that request is there are a few different roads you can go down. You can go down the road of making the request and wanting it completed a certain way by a certain time and state that, but also prepare yourself for it not to happen. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it doesn't happen doesn't then create a reason for you to blame your spouse and get angry at them. When it doesn't happen, that's your opportunity to decide how you want to handle what is a priority for you. Yeah. And I teach and love the idea of just owning your priorities. It's a gift to know what's important to you and to own it, to own making it happen. And, you know, when I coach my clients on this and they're like, yeah, but if then I take it over, then my spouse is going to be upset because they said they were going to do it. And again, it's just the short-term interaction versus the long-term impact on the relationship. And so you can wait and wait and wait for them to do it and grow in your resentment and frustration and annoyance and your nagging about it and bringing it to them constantly, which also erodes the connection versus knowing and recognizing at the front end when the request is made, okay, this is something I would like for you to do. When can you do it? That's what I always recommend. When can you actually realistically get to it? Mm Mm-hmm. And then having a plan B for if that doesn't happen. Okay, great. You're going to get to it on Tuesday. If you're not able to do that, this is what we can do instead. This can just be our plan B because it's really important to me that it get done by this date. So that's what I would say for that. So good. That was literally like a mini coaching session right there. (laughs) I'm like listening. I'm like, I don't have a partner, but I'm so ready to have one because I will totally implement this. Fantastic. What came up for me as you were talking is how easy it is to look at somebody who would identify as a procrastinator and take their lack of action personally, right? So like if my spouse really cared about me, if my partner really cared about me, they would have done this already. And I think send this to your partner if they are a procrastinator, just send this whole podcast because understanding the mechanism behind procrastination, understanding why someone is procrastinating will really tap you into the idea that it is not about you. 
maybe occasionally, but more often than not, not about you. It's about what's happening for that person in their mind, in their body, in their actions. And so really separating out what here is in my control and what is totally not in my control. A thousand percent. And yes, it's one of those things where you do want to pause and just even ask the question, why am I making this mean they don't care? Mm. Right? Like, why does my brain go there? And what other evidence do I already have that they do care? Right? So when the thing is not happening that you want to happen, it's very easy to just go down this negativity cycle of proving all the reasons why they don't follow through, they don't really care, they're not putting forth the effort and all of those things versus just pausing like, oh, here I am in this road of believing they don't care for this one incident, or maybe it's 10 incidents, right? Yeah. And yet I've neglected all the other things that they have done. And what I often offer for clients who are really feeling like their spouse or their partner isn't meeting their needs or meeting some of the expectations, the first place I love to start and the question that I ask is, what do you know that they already love to do? Mm. What are the things that when you ask them, they're happy to do and they do it immediately with no problem? What if we just stayed in that zone as often as possible, right? For me and my own marriage, my husband, anytime I need him to go to the grocery store or pick up takeout, happy to do it, right? Yeah. And part of the reason I know he's happy to do it, and this is just something also for you to think about when you sort of try to sit in the procrastinator's mind, is people like to do things that they feel like they're good at doing and that they can be successful in doing. Yeah. So going to the store or picking up a takeout order, there's very little room for error. And so really going with that and building on the things that your partner is already happy, willing, very capable of doing, and then finding other ways to get some of those other things done will just save you both a lot of heartache. They get to feel adequate in your eyes and you also get to have the things taken care of that are important for you to be taken care of. I just imagined a Venn diagram where you have both of your responsibilities that you both like to do, are willing to do, want to do. And then you've got that middle area where that might take some more compromise and then playing with that. And so letting both people play to their strengths. That's super cool. The other thing I was thinking of was sometimes it's not that we don't care or a procrastinator doesn't care. It's that they care too much, right? They care so much, like you said, about the outcome and about doing it right, especially for people who are identified as perfectionists. That can be a reason why you don't take action. And so that segues into a really interesting conversation. What do you do when your spouse does not give you the response that you were looking for? So maybe it's for a project that you've been working on that has nothing to do with your significant other, or maybe it's something that you did with the hopes of pleasing that person. What then? Yeah. So it's so funny. I was just literally today talking with a client. I'm reading a book and the psychologist that wrote it, he talks about like, what do you do in these disappointing instances where like you make a request or you plan something out and your spouse is not on board. And at the end of the day, what he offered so direct was get over it. Disappointments happen. And he goes on to like clean it up and give some more meat behind that. But one of the things I think that creates 
unnecessary hardship in marriage is expecting our spouse to be on board with things, right? No one's going into marriage saying you need to be 100% on board with everything 100% of the time, but we do have pretty significant things that we just expect. We're going to be on the same page about this, or you're going to want to do this, or because it's important to me, you're going to see that and then get on board to support it. And when that doesn't happen, we have a resistance to feeling disappointed, right? We put marriage on this pedestal where like, we're not supposed to feel disappointed in our marriage. And then when you are disappointed, you fight it, right? By convincing them and then saying all these things that they don't really care because you're trying to fight experiencing the emotion of disappointment. And so this idea of like, get over it, disappointment happens is really to help you allow yourself to experience the emotion of being disappointed by your spouse's lack of engagement, interest, action, and still one, be okay with yourself and two, still be okay with them. And we don't know how to do that because we're not taught how to do that. And so, yes, we all sign up for unconditional love, right? But when you're really thrown off by them not being on board the way you think they should be on board, you want to just pause, right? You want to just pause and notice that this is an opportunity to be disappointed by something they said or something they did or something they didn't do and still choose to see them in a positive light, to hold them in high regard and to be confident and committed to your marriage or your relationship still being worth it and still being good. That is really powerful, that idea of increasing your capacity to feel disappointed. I talk about that actually in the context of projects. I'm like, if you are doing extraordinary projects, you're going to feel disappointed all the time, all the time, because you have high expectations. And then there's a gap between expectations and reality. And instead of trying to reduce that gap or even eliminate it, I love this idea of being like, yeah, the gap is there because I had high expectations. Good for me. And also they were not met. And I'm allowed to be upset about that and also move through it. 100%. One thing that I would love to talk about next is this idea of how do you loop your partner in to the things that are going on in your life? In this case, projects. I work with business owners, so work in a way that not only improves your work, but actually improves your relationship. Because I think of the work being simultaneous, where you can use your partnership to fuel your business and vice versa. How do you see that happening? So if I were to give it a term, it would be called like the open door FYI. (laughs) Let me explain. I like it. Did you just come up with this? I literally did. I literally did. Because (laughs) there is the FYI that most people give, right? This is what I have to do. And it's almost like a directive, right? It's like, this is what I'm doing and you need to adjust accordingly. And there we go. When you think about your FYI being an open door, right? You're one opening the door for support and you're opening the door for potential dissent. And you have to be okay with both of those. 
So the FYI, I literally just worked with a client on, on this recently, was she wanted to dedicate two hours a day to working on her business, right? She's starting a business. And it required a lot of negotiation with their home schedule because they have several kids. So the conversation with her husband went like, hey, this is what I would like. This is my idea and proposal for how we can make this work. What do you think? That question of like, what do you think? Or how can we make this work is the opening, right? Because a lot of times we may set things or take on projects or have timelines for things and we inform our spouse, but we assume that they're going to fall into place in a certain way so that we can get that done. And they may have other agendas for themselves. They may have other priorities that conflict with that. So when you ask the question, what do you think, or how can we figure this out? It creates a space where what they might need to do is equally valued. And then again, you're placing the thing to be solved is how you negotiate both of those, not trying to renegotiate each other. So I think that's really important. And even in saying that, I recognize that it assumes that you're actually doing the FYI part, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got to be clear that we're actually doing that because sometimes we're suggesting things or we're hinting at things without being very concrete. So a lot of times my clients will say like, well, I need more time for this and I need more time for that. I'm like, perfect. Let's define what you mean. Yes. Does that mean two hours a day, every day? or five days a week, or whatever. And you have to get very specific and very granular with it. Do you want that in the morning? Or do you want that in the evening after the kids go to bed? Like, let's really paint it out just like we're building a recipe so that you both are clear. More or less is very vague and no one can really take action on that. And no one can really create that to happen without the specifics. Oh, that's so good. I'm immediately thinking of when I lead my clients through project planning, they come up with a project plan. And one of the biggest mistakes that I see is not running your project plan against your current commitments. And so then you have this project plan that is scoped out. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It can't possibly fit with your existing life. And sometimes you're not willing to do the dumping, delegating, and delaying that's necessary to make it fit. So I love this idea of thinking about your home life when you're making your project plan. It's like, okay, what else do I have? What else would I be willing to negotiate with my spouse? And then making the plan accordingly. Right. And what I'll say to this, which is why the open door part is so important is in most relationships, there's one person who's really good about the FYI part and another person who's not right? The other person who even in our own home, sometimes like things just pop up on the family calendar. And I'm like, where was the conversation about this? Like, where does that even come from? Right. Yet for me, I'm always the one that's like, Hey, I'm thinking about this. Is this okay? Do you have something else already planned that might conflict? And so if that's your reality to the listeners, it's no problem, right? I don't want to like alert you to something that is like going horribly wrong because it's the norm. And you really just working with that person with where they are, right? Some people are very planful 
you know, especially if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably that person, right? Or you're going to be. (laughs) Or you want to be, exactly. You're the person trying to get yourself to that place. And so if your spouse isn't naturally inclined in that way, that's okay. You can just account for that in your planning. Like before I get too attached to this plan that I've created, let me run it by them just to make sure there's nothing that they have in their head that they have committed to but hasn't communicated to me yet. Oh, that's so good. I love also just talking about the little tactical strategies for making this happen. So you just mentioned the shared family calendar. I would be very curious what percent of listeners have that in their household. The thing that I did with my best friend when we lived together during lockdown was we had a little board and I had to write every single one of my calls on the board. And it became a running joke because she'd be like, do you have a call at this time? And I'd be like, check the board. I'm not telling you, check the board, check the board. That's why I wrote it all out. (laughs) I'm like, just imagine living with me. It's very structured around here. But I love this idea of just what are the little things that you can implement in your household to make it easier for every person? Yeah. What other ideas do you have that come to mind there? I'm a really big fan of just the daily check-in, right? So Yes, there will be times when you perfectly put things on the calendar or whatever system you create, but there are also times when just like the verbal back and forth is so valuable of, hey, what do you have planned for today? What's on your agenda? This is what I'm thinking, right? So just those types of conversations are very important. And then I also am a big fan of having a very wide safety net meaning that if it's just you and your partner and you have children or you have other things, we go back to that Venn diagram, right? Like where the stuff in the middle, right? Where you're overlapping and you both don't have capacity, you want to have other options besides just the two of you for making things happen. So whenever I'm coaching my clients that have small children, I'm always like, get three babysitters. Mm -hmm. Just get three babysitters that are just like, on rotation, available, or family members, whatever the case may be, because a lot of conflict can just be avoided by having extra help and having extra support. That way you're not convincing someone to give up something that they really want to do or really need to do. And you're not having to give up something that you really want or need to do because you have some other mechanism of getting the help that you need. I love this. And I teach a concept called how to audit your calendar. And so I run people through these four different frameworks. There's going to be an episode on this about how to actually look at your calendar and make sure it's in line with what you want. And one of the ones that we talk about is this idea of do, dump, delegate, delay. And one that I think we don't use very often is delegate. And like you said, at first glance, it can seem like we don't have a lot of options for who to delegate to. And then I would say that the second objection there is usually money. And getting super creative, like, okay, we want to keep the house clean. That's really important to us. We could bring in a house cleaner every week. Maybe we don't have the funds for that. What about once a month? Or what if we did some kind of barter and just opening your brain to what are all the options here? Cause we tend to get stuck pretty easily, I would say, and just stop seeing options. Yes. And one of the reasons we get stuck and stop seeing options is because we don't want to feel guilty. Mm. Right. So this idea, again, of like giving yourself permission to have your needs met is literally ground zero because whether it's the housekeeper or a babysitter or some other person that's there to help you, 
your brain is going to like beat you up about it, right? It's going to say the housekeeper's unnecessary. Your money could be better used towards something else. Or you should be home with the kids. Like what you have planned to do isn't essential. You don't have to do this right now. Like you could just be home with the kids. And so there are times again, where being able to tolerate that emotion because your brain is going to deliver the thoughts that create it, right? Being able to tolerate, hey, I feel guilty. The kids are with a babysitter or that my spouse had to wake up early so that I could do this other thing that I needed to do. I feel guilty about that. That's okay, right? I'm only feeling guilty because of what I'm telling myself about it. But the reason this decision or the reason I want to use my time in this way or free up my time in this way is because this other thing is so important. And it's really anchoring in the value of what you are going to be spending your time doing and why that matters to you, why that's worth feeling guilty for a few minutes, because you're also going to feel very accomplished at the end of the day when you do the thing that you need to be doing. Okay. Music to my ears, this idea of increasing your capacity to feel guilt for sure. And like you said, knowing that you're going to feel it and it's going to pass. You don't have to spend the entire time feeling guilty then and anchoring to, like you said, the value of what you are choosing to spend your time on. And so we could talk about this in a lot of different ways, but I love the idea of having a compelling reason for every project that you take on. And that's a written, documented reason. Like it's like a mission statement for your project. Here's why this is worth it. And then it makes it so much easier to give up other things to sacrifice other things because you know that you're rooted to the value. A hundred thousand percent on that one. (laughs) Glad we're on the same page with so many things. (laughs) Okay. This is one last topic that was actually requested by somebody on Instagram when I said that I was meeting with you. What do you do when your conversations with your partner are stale or they're just about the boring daily things of life and you're missing out on those initial exciting honeymoon conversations about your passions and your values and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's so good. So my ears perked up, right? When you said the phrase and you're missing out on. Hmm. And that is the place to start, right? When you're feeling like something is lacking in your communication and connection, it is because you're focused on what's missing. Mm. right? You're literally like a moth to a flame magnetized to noticing what's not there. And so you can never create something better from looking at what's not there. You can only create something better by focusing on what is there and building from that. So even if you are having very surface level, routine, monotonous conversations, you are having them, Mm. right? And I really want you to just pause and feel that, right? We are communicating. We are connecting on this topic. That's good. Like allow yourself to feel grateful for that because as a marriage coach, I'll tell you, some people don't even have that. There's literally no communication, no conversation. So once you can find the value of where you are and what you have currently, then we begin to turn the notch up. So for some people, it's just a matter of having conversation guides 
and conversation tools, right? I give my clients all of them. I give them like 30 days of questions to ask each other that are different than how was your day, right? Because that sort of falls flat. But there are a lot of engaging in different ways to check in with each other and debrief your day that really help you feel connected. So for some people, that's going to do it. They just need a tool. They just need some different strategies of having the conversation. They need some additional resources to help them have different conversations. They're going to both be on the same page and both want that for their communication. In other instances, it might be that you are at different levels, right? I say this all the time that in marriage, it's a marathon. So in a marathon, you might start out at the same starting line and you're in groove and in sync and in pace with each other. And then you may take off, right? You may get a burst of energy and take off ahead of your spouse. And maybe the things you're thinking about and wanting to talk about are at a higher level than where they may be. But eventually they may catch up to you and maybe they'll pass you, right? So there's nothing wrong with having these periodic shifts in, these are the things I'm interested in. And this happens a lot. You know, I'm in a huge community of coaches. I hear this all the time. Like once you discover coaching or once you discover a passion or once you're really engaged in a project, you begin to just want to learn more and more and more about that. And then you see the discrepancy where your spouse isn't maybe motivated with their own projects or isn't as interested in what you're doing. And so that's not a problem because every couple will have phases and moments where that is the case. So what you want to do is you want to start looking for what are the things we can always easily talk about and just start with that and then find what you love about the things that you love talking about and bring that energy to your conversation. So many times people will say to me, well, they're not really interested in it. So I don't want to talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. But I want to just show you that when that's the decision you're making, you're closing the door to that connection and conversation by what you're thinking. Now, maybe they're not giving you you know, the thumbs up about the conversation. Maybe they're not as engaged and maybe their eyes are glazing over, but that'd be okay. Because in marriage, in any meaningful relationship, there are times when someone's talking about something that you're really not a hundred percent interested in, Uh but you're just there to be a receiver of what they're offering. Yeah. Can that be okay? And then the last thing that I would offer is that if that really is like a place of major stagnation in your relationship, where can you get that need met? Yeah. Right? Who can you be talking to about these things at the level that you want to? And how can you just release that expectation from your spouse? Not resent them because they're not there, but just like release it like, oh, I don't actually need this from you. And there's a difference between desperately needing something to happen in your relationship versus just wanting it, just having it as a desire that would be lovely to have. When it's lovely to have, it's sort of like it's a lighter place. It's more of an invitation versus when you need it, you get into that convincing, demanding energy, which is only going to push them farther away. Absolutely. My brain goes to this framework that I teach, which is there's only four W's in life. There's things you want to do, things you're willing to do, things you'll decide not to do, you won't do, 
and then wallow, which is none of the above. You just like to complain about it. (laughs) And I always joke, I'm like, we all have a wallow category. It's fine. But as much as you can move from the wallow category into the other categories, awesome. So what I'm thinking it in context here is as the recipient of this conversation, you'll have times where you don't particularly want to hear about a certain interest of your spouse, but you might decide to put that into your willing to category. Like you said, you're willing to hear about it, even though it's not your top desire. Mm -hmm. And then also understanding that in your spouse is like, they might be willing to just listen to you rave about your newest project. (laughs) And maybe they're not. And so really understanding they also have those four categories and letting that be okay. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, Dr. Siobhan, we could obviously talk about this for so long. Thank you so much for joining. Where can people find your work? Yes. So if you're listening to a podcast, obviously you are. You can just go to your search bar and type in love marriage again with Dr. Siobhan. You will find me there. I will be in your ear talking to you. If you love social media, you will love following me on Instagram. I am at Siobhan Parat there. And then I also invite you to come on over to my website, drsiobhan.com, where you can find any information about my latest masterclass or webinar or any free events that I might be hosting. Perfect. And if anyone needs the spelling, it will be right in the episode title. Thank you so much. This was amazing and appreciate having you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Half Finished to Done podcast. If you're ready to become a self-assured repeat project finisher, the best place to work with me is in my eight-week group coaching program, Half Finished to Done Live. You'll leave our time together with one finished project and the skills you need to finish any project, personal or business, in the future. Just head to peakcoaching.co slash HFD live for your next step. Can't wait to work with you.